who are the men that were here last night that are never looking at issues in their life quite the same way again? Thank you guys for coming back. This is Lynn. I, inter I introduced her by way of narrative last night, but uh, here we are. It's good <laughs> to be with you. Hey, what we want to do this morning is to look at how Jesus loves and how we're to love one another. And the things that we're going to walk through are things that have kind of been born out of seven years of adversity. We've been married 30 years this past uh, what? 30 and a half. 30 and a half now, that's right. Thank <laughs> you, I stand corrected. Uh, as you'll see, there'll be a lot of correction <laughs> through the course of this presentation. No. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, so what, what we want to look at is how Christ loves, in the good and in the bad, the thick and in the thin. Uh, when, when you when you got your game on and, and, and life's all right and, and you're kind of just got a lot of margin, and then what about those times in your life where things are tough and there's not so much margin and... Uh, and so we, we, what we're going to share to you is uh, some things that have been born out of seven years or five years of adversity over the past seven. So Lynn's going to tell you a little about that, not to have a pity party, but just to give you context. So what follows comes out of uh, some authenticity through these seven years. Yeah, that's, that's been our biggest desire is that um, what I'm about to share with you, it's, it's really not about us. It's really about what God's done through our circumstances and, and some things that have come into our lives. And I, but I did need to write it down because I was afraid that I would forget some of it. But um, um, it kind of started in December of '05. Um, I was at home by myself, and um, it was about 2 p.m. in the afternoon, and um, children were all at school. And uh, the fire alarm went off in our home, and um, I soon found a, a fire in one of the bedrooms, um, which quickly spread throughout our home. Um, we lost uh, the entire contents and uh, interior of our home, and over the next seven to eight months, months we began to rebuild, and um, God was faithful. He met us in all of it and just loved us through it in ways that we could have never imagined. Um, about one year later, um, almost to the day, I was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. And um, so quickly we moved through surgeries, about a dozen over the next year and a half, and um, chemotherapy um, followed. Uh, in March, I was uh, headed to get a shot after a uh, chemo treatment and noticed that Chip was kind of laying back on our sofa in our family room. And uh, the Lord slowed me down and, and just helped me recognize that he was having a heart attack. I just thought it was Mexican food. <laughs> it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so quickly we got him to the hospital um, and into emergency surgery he went. Um, uh, with some stints um, at that round. Um, and then, um, let's see, June 7th, June 07, I was finishing up with chemo. I uh, had been walking through this journey with some dear friends, Gary and Carrie Oliver. Gary's had uh, throat cancer seven or eight times. Uh, Carrie was... Um, working through pancreatic cancer and we knew her diagnosis was not going to be as positive as mine. When I saw her just prior to my last uh, chemo treatment, I knew it was the last time I would see her. Um, 
this side of heaven. Um, we, she died the first of July, and that was a hard loss for us. We'd been walking together through this cancer journey and um, just missed her so much um, after she passed on. And then um, in uh, March, I was um, um, diagnosed with an, a different cancer. Um, and uh, so we started that over again, as well as another heart attack for Chip. See, so she does cancer. I do cardiac. So we, we started seeing this pattern with cancer diagnosis comes heart attacks for Chip. Um, but, you know, again, God has been so faithful. Uh, summer 10 were a lot of concerns with, um, with Chip, he, just with more heart issues and getting medication um, properly. It's wearing me out just <laughs> to hear it. This is really wearing me out. Yeah, okay, let's move on. <laughs> but, but then there was something else. Yeah. Wasn't there? Yeah, I stuck my hand in a running lawnmower and came up with a nub. Recommend that, fellas. How many of you guys out there have lost a body part to a power tool? Just there's a secret society among us. Who? Well, they're plucking and they're looking at man. Yeah, yeah, incredible. So it's been a ride, you know, just through stuff. Some of it small and some of it major, but it has been a ride. And one of the things that happened was after going through all this, I would, you ever have those four o'clock wake up meetings with God? You know, you just kind of get the wake up call. And you know, you're going to get up and you got to process some things with with Him and. I was just kind of looking at everything that had gone on, and I'm going, really? You know, is this what we signed up for? <laughs> it's just, by this season of life and this season of marriage, you thought you'd be at a different place than where you find yourself, and some of you may be in that place today. And that's where God began to show how faithful, how able, as we just sang a few moments ago, He is, and how we've begun to realize some things about His ability and His greatness in some of the adversity and that's what this idea of reframe is all about. You've been looking at your marriage one way. Could you allow God to give you different context and reframe it and that you would look at it somewhere in another way? And for you guys that are married, uh, you'll track along with this. Uh, for you guys who are not married, you can still track because this has really more to do with Jesus' love for his body, for us as his bride as it does as well as the context of marriage. So if you're married, you can track with this. If you're not married, you can... Uh, uh, track with this, and for those who hope to be married, it gives you context for the future, but that's where we're going to go. Hey, I'd start things off and just kind of take you into the Tiger Woods School of Marriage. <laughs> for those of you who've been there, remember that, that this was the uh, newscast that was going on. This was pre-Augusta. This was pre-Masters after the uh, uh, golf club and uh, Escalade incident that he had. And I'm just sitting there watching the, uh, the news, and it's mute, and I see that scroll across the bottom where he says, the way I was thinking was not correct. Well, that is every man's confession. Right, guys? <laughs> the ladies go, yes, indeed, you know. In fact, I want to work on a book. I got a title of a, a working title of a book in progress. And the title is, You're Right, I'm Wrong, It's My Fault, and What I Was Thinking Was Not Correct. And that's every man's book. And you can make it. It'll be 365 pages, and every page is blank. So every day he just kind of writes his chapter. He writes his narrative. Ladies, you know that a lot of times you know you're right, and he just doesn't get it, you know. And he just doesn't realize it's his fault because why, his, the way he's thinking is, is not correct. And so let's do a little alignment here and get into a correct mode of thought concerning how we love each other and how we sustain through the dark seasons and the hard seasons and uh, even the good times what 
Lynn and I have, have realized is oneness and oneness. Hey, th- I thought for the longest time there are a couple of big spiritual challenges every one of us face on a daily basis. And the first one is to abide. Remember what John says in John 15? If you remain, you abide in him and, and, and we abide in him, uh, it will bear much fruit. But apart from him, we can do nothing. And I've done a whole lot of nothing. How about you? <laughs> it's been there. I do a lot of days of nothing because I choose not to abide. And, and I used to look at abiding as a challenge, but it's really not. Abiding is an invitation. Jesus is inviting us into this oneness with him. And he's inviting us into this venture with him. He's inviting us into something on a daily basis we bear fruit in, in, in our life that day, our marriage, our parenting, what we're doing at school with friends, at work, at play, it, it produces something. So at the end of the day, you come up with nothing. And so to see abiding as an invitation and also a second is love. Jesus says over in John 13, a new command, I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. And we look at that through the lens of not this being a challenge, but as an invitation for you to love your spouse, for you to love your child, for you to, to love who the people you are involved in on a regular basis, to love them the way that Christ loves them is an invitation. It's not a challenge. And, guys, we, we get to up our game because Paul writes over in Ephesians, that passage, he says, guys, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loves the church. And I'm here to tell you that is almost impossible to do if you don't abide. And so daily, Jesus is there meeting us when our eyes open. His mercy and his grace is all fresh and new. And, and, and we're invited into this abiding posture with him. And, we, and we're invited to love ourselves and others the way that he loves us. So let's do that for a moment. You, you, can, you can get into alignment real quick. And all, all it is is just saying, Lord, it's about you. It's not about me. So at this moment... Let's just take a moment where you are. If you need to close your eyes and bow your head, if you want to keep your eyes open and keep looking, would you enter into the invitation to abide? Lord, it's about you now. It's not about us. And we choose to remain in you. We, we abide. We bring all of us to all that you are. And thank you for this invitation and showing us how to love. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, these adventures of, of abiding and loving begin with a prayer. It's found in John 17. It's the high priestly prayer of Christ for all his disciples. And as you read through John 17, Jesus has a dialogue of prayer going on with he and the Father. And then he prays for James and Peter and John and Matthew and the guys. And then he prays for us in this room this morning. If you ever wanted to find your name in the Bible, go to John chapter 17, and here it is. And look how Jesus prays. My prayer is not for them alone, talking about Peter, James, and John, and the disciples. I pray also for Ann. I pray also for Randall and Carolyn. I pray for Margaret. I pray for Gage. I pray for Keith. I pray for Donna, who believe in me through their message. That is the gospel. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given shame the glory that you gave me, that Matt may be one as we are one, and in them 
I and them and you and me, and may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as, I, as you have loved me. There's your name in the Bible if you ever need to know. And I, I think that's a prayer that Jesus prayed on our behalf so long ago, and I think it's what he's praying for right now daily. That's one of the things Lynn and I began to realize. This is an active prayer. This thing is not static. It is dynamic. And in daily, Jesus is before the Father and, and making intercession on our behalf that we may be one. And so you got this invitation to abide in him. you got this invitation to live in, uh, love as he loves. And now you got the idea and the concept, the reality from the kingdom that he's praying for you and he's praying for me and your spouse and your child and your parent, whoever it may be. You put the relational context in play. He's praying right now that we would be one as he and the Father are one. <clears throat> to love her. The way Christ loves her is dawning at times uh, because I feel so inadequate to do so. And so I, I went to the Lord and I said, okay, Lord, if I'm to love Lynn the way that you love her, I know I've got to abide. I know that you're praying that she and I may be one. So help me here. So I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the scriptures. I'm going to open up the Bible, and I just want to look at how Jesus loved through the entirety of the Word of God and say, I'm going to love Lynn in like fashion. That's too big for me. I'm a simple man, you know, and what I was thinking was not correct. <laughs> so there you go. So I started, okay, well, I'm just going to look at how he loved in the Gospels. Again, it was just way too big. And then I got into the Passion Week of Christ. We're coming up on Easter and began to realize that there's, you can look at Sunday to Sunday, you can look at the Passion Week of Christ and look at how he loved her, how he loved his bride in those seven days, and you can, you can make some application on how to love as Jesus loves, as you abide and as he's praying for oneness. And so what Lynn and I found as we looked over all the chaos of the last five to seven years is that actually God was showing us some things on how he loves, and it just kind of sprang forth in the text. And each of the Gospels has a narrative of the Passion Week. Today, we're just going to primarily traffic in the Gospel of Matthew and just take a look at seven days. Now, here's the deal. These, are, uh, these days represent seasons of your life and seasons of your marriage. And, and, and they're not linear. They're not always progressive. You can't always go from Sunday to Sunday. Sometimes you go Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, back to Monday, over to Thursday, back to Tuesday, and then you go to Saturday. You know, it, there's just seasons that we traffic in, and as we love as he loves, and we move within these seasons of marriage and these seasons of oneness with one another. And so let's go to First Sunday. It's the triumphal entry. And let's look at how Jesus loves. And, 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 and the Sunday season is a season of joy and hope and expectation. And Jesus basically shows up in Jerusalem. And, and, and it's the triumphal entry. And, and the response of his bride is this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and we all have those first Sunday seasons. And what do they kind of look like, Lynn? What's that first Sunday season about? Well, we're, you know, we're thinking about a wedding and how, what an event that is and how uh, much anticipation and joy, um, how beautiful it is and, um, you know, just the anticipation and hope that that couple has for their new life together, their new future, starting their family. And uh, so we, we just kind of equated it with that, just a, a season of joy, season of hope. Yeah, and those are good seasons too. And, and, and man, sometimes you, 
you think that's all there's going to be is, hey, this is all good. She's here. I'm here. Remember the day you married her? Remember those words? You said some words in about 30 seconds that have given context and definition for your, your life and your marriage over decades. You said something like this. I take you to be my spouse, to have and to hold from this day forth for what? Better, worse, richer, poor, in sickness, and in health. And I betrothed myself, I give myself to you until we're parted by death. As God is my witness, I make my promise. You said something with a preacher or somewhere, something similar to that if you're married. If you are going to be married one day, you'll say similar words that you'll say in about 30 seconds. But here's the deal. You're going in, and you know what you hear at the altar on that Sunday? You're hearing for better, for richer, for help. Yeah, and it's good you celebrate that because you don't know that soon you're going to find yourself worse and you're going to find yourself poor and you're going to find yourself sick. That's okay. <laughs> That's what these other seasons are about, but it's, it's a day of celebration. Hey, if you're married this morning, hey, if you have it on tape or if it was videoed or if you can go back to that day and that season where it's just a lot of joy and expectation. Now, here's one of the things you probably realized about that first Sunday. Uh, was Jesus comes in, everybody's thinking he's Messiah. He, he's showing up. He's coming in to love. And they've got all these expectations that Jesus is going to be the Messiah, the political Messiah that's going to overthrow Rome. And so you need to realize as Jesus came in, there were some unrealistic expectations of himself in that, in that day. And, and, and there's some unrealistic expectations you may have of one another in this season, but it's okay. You enjoy that. That first Sunday's a good season. It's better. It's richer. Is healthy. Well, let's move to Monday. Monday season. <laughs> here we go. And the Monday season, that's a season of expanding faith and overcoming doubt. Look what Jesus does. He does a number of things, and we just pick one out of each of these days. These aren't the only things. He builds her faith. And it took place on Sunday as he went into Jerusalem. And he's coming out. He sees this fig tree, and he curses this fig tree, which is symbolic of the impotent leadership going on in Jerusalem through the Sadducees and the Pharisees and that whole crowd. And so he curses the fig tree because it wasn't bearing fruit in season, just as the religious leadership has not chosen to abide and enter into the invitation of abiding. They're bearing no fruit. They're just doing a lot of nothing in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, we just can't do that. And so he curses the fig tree. The next day on Monday, as they go back into Jerusalem, the disciples are overwhelmed. Man, look at that tree. It's like it's been dead for years. You know, he just, he just cursed it yesterday, and now there's no leaves. It's all dried out, you know. And Jesus says, listen, if you have faith and you do not doubt, and in that context he says, you can do more than I've done to this fig tree. You can move this mountain. You can say, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. And so the Monday season is a season of where your, your faith is expanded. And your capacity to believe God for your best and for the best in your spouse. God is there and he's saying, listen, if you have faith and don't doubt. I, I just recently, or I'm, I'm in the middle. I'm, I'm actually in a Monday season right now. Lynn and I are on a writing sabbatical and we're getting to stay down at Navarre Beach for a month. Oh, it's good. If it only quit raining and the sun would shine. But it's really good. And we've been writing and praying and, and processing a lot of truth together. And I came up on this and it just hit me three weeks ago as we first got down there, I've got a, I've got a mountain in my life, and it's the mountain of little faith. 
And it's one of those things you may find in your marriage where you believing, you're willing to believe some things for one another, but not maybe for yourself. You ever been there? And, and God just kind of called me out on it, and I was walking down the beach at sunrise one morning, and I'd memorize this passage. Okay, Jackson, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can say to this mountain, and I thought, what mountain do I have? And it's the mountain of little faith right now. And, and that's one thing Jesus called the disciples out. Remember Peter walking on the water? They're locked eyes, moving across. And, and Peter takes his eyes off Christ and puts it on the water and the waves around him begins to sink. Jesus reaching down, what does he say to Peter? Oh, you of little faith, how is it that you don't believe? And so these issues of doubt and fear that have been wrestling around in my heart, even after we've been through all the mess of the last seven years, God's saying, all right, you've got to do something down here, Jackson. You've got to say to that mountain of little faith, go throw yourself into the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> and, and, and if you do that, it, it will be done. And so 6 o'clock one morning, I'm out there. Sun's coming up over the Gulf, one of the few days we had sun. And there I'm going, and I'm saying to this little mountain, and I'm trying to figure out where it is. Well, it's right here. Go. Go throw yourself this thing that's in here, you leave here and you go over into the surf, you know. And it's a season of expanding faith, and we all go through that. And so as a couple, it's always helpful as well as individuals to know where are those mountains that are in your life that are impeding a greater capacity to believe God. And God says, listen, I'm not going to do this for you. You believe in me. You have faith and you don't doubt. And you say to that mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and it will be done. So Monday... It's a season of expanding faith as you look at what Jesus was doing with his bride in Jerusalem. Then we come to Tuesday. Tuesday is a season of great stories and an awareness that there's an insidious plot against you. Here we find two things in place. Jesus is telling great stories. He, he, as you read throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he says, listen, and I'll tell you another story. I'll tell you a parable. And you have some great stories. If we were to take this microphone and pass it around the room, each of you could tell some great stories of what God has done in your life. And, and, and they're wonderful stories. And then you've got some stories that you can tell on your spouse. <laughs> they're good stories. And we'd like to hear some of those, actually. And in <laughs> fact, I'm going to tell you one that Lynn and I had. This is one of our great stories. A number of years ago, this is while we were living in Opelika, we found ourselves in a fight. Now, none of you ever fight. You don't argue. You don't do conflict. We got pretty good at it for a season. And we went to Birmingham to a family life conference up in Birmingham, and they, talk, they teach you how to manage conflict. And one of, the manage, uh, one of the conflict tools is to, if you're escalating the conflict and you feel a good fight coming on, just call a TV timeout and change venue and, and go somewhere else and, and start again and let, let the RPM drop and let things kind of calibrate back down and do it civil, okay? So we're in our sunroom, and we're escalating the conflict, and I thought, okay, conflict management, TV timeout. Honey, let's leave the sunroom and let's go to the kitchen. Well, we leave the sunroom and go to the kitchen only to pick up the argument that we left in the sunroom at the same level of intensity. So quick move, another TV timeout, out of the kitchen to the living room. So we situate ourselves in the living room, and we're still, it, we're just ramping up. We're, we're, I, I feel it coming, you know, what I'm thinking is not correct, all that, and it, it's coming. And I just remember doing, looking at Lynn and saying, baby, we don't need to do another TV timeout. I, I, in fact, let's say that you're right, I'm wrong, okay? I, I just want to understand. 
what's going on here? The ladies are going to understand this when I say it. I looked at Chip and I just said, Chip, you need to understand that you're not always going to understand because I may not even understand. Do you understand? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. But you know, yeah, it made sense to her, you know, but you know, what I was thinking is not correct. So, but here's the story. We go back to that story time after time when we're in, in seasons of conflict, which we do few and far between now. I mean, who could argue with this woman, huh? And when? Who, 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 who would even want to, to argue with her? She's so lovely. And I've learned that, man, don't die on that hill. Love her the way Jesus loves her in this moment. And we go back to that understanding story because here's the deal. A lot of times in your marriage relationship, you'll have agreement as your supervising value. And if that's a supervising value, you're going to get in trouble because you're not always going to agree. But if understanding is a supervising value, I may not agree with her. She may not agree with me, but at least we seek understanding. Guys, you know what Peter says over in 1 Peter, do what? Husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way, granting her honor as a fellow heir in the grace of life so that your prayers aren't hindered. And so Tuesday is a season of great stories that just emerge. And uh, we've had several. There's one other special one that I'd like for Lynn to share with you. It just kind of changed everything about this cancer battle for us. Well, it was, um, I was about to begin my chemotherapy, and um, it was a unique evening that all of our children were at home. Uh, at that time, the kids were ages 6 through, I believe, like 19, and we have four children. Um, and we probably had dinner that evening, and then um, Chip and the kids asked me to come into the family room and asked me to sit down, and Chip anointed my head with oil, and the kids gathered around me and began to pray. And um, it was the most special time, um, I think one of the most special times that I've ever experienced to hear my children praying with such love and honor and uh, uh, spiritual maturity and authority to come before the Father and ask that I be healed. Um, that's definitely one of my favorites. A great story. You know, Jack, Thomas, Mary Evelyn, you want to bless your dad and mom one night? Just grab Troy and Ann and have them sit down, and the three of you circle around them and just pray a blessing over them. That will make for a great story in the Amster family that will also give context to how you guys not only pray for one another but pray with one another. Just, just an idea. You might want to try. You might get a car or something out of the deal. <laughs> also on Tuesday, G Jesus loves her and he's aware of this insidious plot, but, knowing, but Jesus knowing their evil intent, speaking of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Listen, if you're married this morning, the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy your marriage. And, and he, he's relentless. He never lets up. Because if God's prayer and Jesus praying for you right now is, is for oneness. In fact, take, take your index fingers. And hold them up. And this is how marriage works. You're always, God's, if Jesus is praying, he's always moving you into oneness. Not, not to meet 50-50, to go 100%, overlap those fingers. That's the prayer of Jesus for you and your spouse right now, or your future spouse if you happen to be single this morning. He's praying that for you and your spouse. So if that is his prayer and his goal, guess what Satan's strategy is? Isolation. To always pull you apart. There's an insidious plot. 
And I remember the first time this happened with Lynn and I, we went, whoa, you know what? She's not the enemy, and I'm not the enemy. There's an enemy that is out to steal and kill and destroy us. And so that's what's going on Tuesday. Wednesday. Wednesday is the nothing noteworthy season. <laughs> the Gospels are quiet. We don't know what Jesus and the disciples were doing on Wednesday of Passion Week. And you have these seasons in your marriage where thing, you just kind of rock along. There's movement. There's activity. Things are going on. But nothing catastrophic. But nothing extravagant is going on. You're just kind of changing poopy diapers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, getting kids to school and doing carpool and advancing at work or maybe working, working on a graduate degree. And it's good, but there's just nothing noteworthy on that, that season. And that's okay. I like Wednesday seasons, to be honest with you. I haven't been through a few. But now let's turn to Thursday and the Thursday season. And this season is a season of yielded will. Jesus loves her by surrendering to the Father's will in Gethsemane. And going a little farther, writes Matthew, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The next three days, guys, are three significant seasons, and I'm here to tell you a lot of couples don't make it through these seasons. And so if you can come in on this one, if, if you've been checked out on this talk up to this point, come on in and gather around on this. This is, this is life-changing. We all go through Gethsemane experiences. Each of us do. And, and, and a Gethsemane experience is defined by agony. There are seasons where you go, and it is so hard. And it rips your heart and your soul right out of you. It is a place of agony. Also, God may give you some garden friends in your Gethsemane. A Peter, James, and John that will go there with you. But listen, you can't count on those garden friends because they will fall asleep on you. They're, it's good that they're in there. It's good that they'll pray through your Gethsemane experience. But they'll let you down. Because it's not about them. It's about the Father and His will for you in this season where you're struggling and you want something for yourself or you want something for your spouse, you want something for your marriage so bad and it's agonizing that this thing's not coming about and so you find yourself at that place of agony, you find that yourself in the Gethsemane and you find yourself where you must, to survive, surrender your will. And Father, it's, it's your will, not, not my will, not Lynn's will but your will that needs to be done. It's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in this marriage as it is in heaven. Painful place, isn't it? It is. And, you know, it's a place of struggle. Um, and then hopefully um, you recognize that it's an invitation um, from the Lord to... Um, to, to, that the circumstances are not your cross, you know, that uh, his will um, is there for us, that to, in order to, to know his will, to recognize it, we, um, we go to the cross. And um, it's, it's also pretty comforting to know that Jesus struggled in that place, you know, that he agonized with the Father that, you know, are you sure? Are you sure, Father? Are you sure you need me to go to the cross? 
is this the only way? And sometimes for us as well, it's to go through that difficulty um, in order to know more about his love, his character, and his will for our lives. Because it does lead to the cross. It does lead to a Friday season in your marriage and in your walk with him. And Friday is a season of dying to self. Ouch. That's hard. But none of us wants to die to self. We want to take care of self. We want self to prosper. We want self to succeed. We want self to flourish. And God says, I want yourself to die. And he showed us the way of going about that. The cross is a very vulgar place. Jesus loves her by giving himself up for her. And when he cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He, he, he yielded his will in Gethsemane, but he laid down his life at Calgary. Um, I'm sure we got a cross there. Some they see them on the walls over there. Um, <clears throat> sometimes I think we we run past the cross too quickly as individuals and as couples. Uh, the cross was Rome's uh, primary mode of execution. And Rome, Rome used the cross for, for a, a major statement that, that if you broke the, the law of Rome and you came against the authority of Rome, you would face the wrath of Rome. And the cross was not for Roman citizens. The cross was reserved for criminals and thieves and traitors in the empire. Criminals, thieves, and traitors in the empire. So when you found yourself under the wrath of Rome by being a criminal in the empire, a thief in the empire, or a traitor into the empire, you would be crucified. And the Roman crucifixions were not these high and lifted up crosses way up in the air. They, they were about eye level. Because what Rome wanted you to do or to experience, as you were being crucified and all, all the brutality and all the vulgarity of it, they wanted the Roman citizens to be able to walk by and see this is the wrath of Rome upon traitors and upon criminals in the kingdom of Rome. And uh, they would mock the people on the cross, but because you are a thief, you are a criminal, you are a traitor yourself, you would mock them back. And so you had this eye-level exchange going on where Roman citizens would come and spit upon you at the cross. And it, the historians of the day talk about how the people on the cross, the thieves, the criminals, you know, the traitors, would spit back. But they would not only spit back, they would urinate from the cross. And they would defecate from the cross in a display of human vulgarity at, at the wrath of Rome being placed upon them and their defiance against it. The, the cross is a vulgar place. The cross is an ugly place. The, the cross is a b brutal place and we're called to die to self Paul says in Galatians 2:20, he says this I have been crucified with Christ he also says over in 2nd Corinthians 5 21 he says God made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ and what Paul's saying there, guys, is this. There are criminals and there are traitors and there are thieves in the kingdom of God. And Jesus became 
a traitor. Jesus became a criminal. He became a thief. He took our sin and became that sin for us. And, and so when you look at the cross of Christ and dying to self, there's so much of us already in there because everyone in the room this morning at some point has been deemed a criminal and a traitor and a thief in the kingdom of God. And we deserve the wrath of God upon that sin. Jesus steps in and takes that wrath upon himself and becomes sin for you and I. I have a friend that puts it this way. He died so that we could live. And now he lives so that you and I can die because Paul says now I have been crucified with Christ. And I don't know what that means. And Lynn, in our context, I had this visual. I see Jesus on that cross and I see those nails going through his wrist and through his feet. And somehow I have to get myself positioned on the back side of that cross and put my hands on those nails that have come through that wood and my feet and attach myself and I must die with Christ. I must be crucified with him. Anything I expect of her, anything I, my expectations, all that, that, that has to die. My dreams, my desires for this marriage, they've got to die in order that his dreams and his desires flourish within, within that. And so you die to self on Friday. And nobody can die that for you. It's, it's you. It's tough. Saturday rolls around. That's the in-between season. If you, as you'll notice, you read through the Gospels, there is not a lot going on on, on Saturday. It, apparently, Jesus is dead. He's silent, but he's active. And you'll have those seasons in your marriage between Friday and Sunday where you think it's over with, where you'll realize that, hey, we got nothing here but a lot of empty space and a lot of silence between us. I remember the first time I went through guess, uh, the Saturday, the in-between season, uh, I got so mad at Lynn. We were doing conflict, and it just wasn't going well. And I had a buddy in Birmingham, and I took off to Birmingham for three days just to get out and kind of get realigned. And in doing so, while I was in Birmingham, uh, I had a prayer journal going at the time. And up there in the in-between season, I wrote this. I quit. Despair assaults the core of confidence. Discouragement taunts my proper position is on the bench and not in the game. Inadequacy shouts vulgarities. Quit. Give up, loser. My concentration is broken and my train of thought is derailed. I quit. I can't. The apparent balance load has shifted. My knees buckle, my ankles turn, my spirit bends to the point of breaking. The pressure reveals cracks in my character. I want to hide, I want to isolate, I want to protect. Going down seems easier than going on. I can't. I won't. The risk is too great. The price is too high. The challenge is too demanding. The alternative, I won't. I hurt. And there is no vocabulary for this pain. I cry. I ache, I hurt. I am looking for a way out and not a way through. And the way speaks. You hurt? I know. You won't? I will. You can't? 
I can. You quit? I didn't. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. In between seasons. It's when a lot of marriages don't make it, right? I mean, the brutality and the agony of Gethsemane only to be met with the vulgarity and the dying of self on Friday at, 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 at Calvary. And then you, all is gone. There's no hope. You're in between and you just want to quit. You want to bail out. And a lot of couples do. And for those who don't bail out, a lot of them start drinking. <laughs> Lynn and I got this card from a friend not long ago, and it, it just hit me. I just loved it. The, the card reads, Secrets to a Long Happy Marriage. Now, this is the in-between season here. An old woman was sipping on a glass of wine while sitting at the patio with her husband, and she says, I love you so much, I don't know how I could have ever, ever lived without you. And her husband asks, Is that you or the wine talking? And she replies, It's me talking to the wine. <laughs> yeah. In between, that, that in between season is tough. You want to quit, you want to drink, you know, but you hang in there because Sunday is coming. Here we go. And it's the resurrection and the power to be able to walk in a redemptive marriage. Jesus loves her by showing up again, and he isn't recognized at first. Remember, Mary gets to the tomb. And she doesn't recognize that it is Jesus. And remember, for those of you who've been on the road to Emmaus, that experience, those two guys on the road to Emmaus, as they're walking, they do not realize, they do not recognize that it's Jesus. As you look over in Luke 24, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. And then they recognized that, next slide please, then they recognized that it was him. And so Sunday, the resurrection season, it's a season of power in your marriage. It's a, it, you, you, you're coming back. You're getting wind. And that's kind of been our journey as we've been through these five to seven years, realizing that there are seasons that you go through. But Sunday comes. And as we land the plane on this thing, a couple ideas here. One of the things that, that caught me off guard, after the house fire, uh, it was the 25th wedding anniversary for Lynn and I, and through the generosity of some friends, we were given a timeshare down in Mexico. And so, you know, about an hour south of Cancun, we go down there for a while and just hang out and celebrate our 21st wedding an anniversary, and Lynn gives me this card. And she's written some wonderful things about me, none of which I really recognized about me at the time. And as I'm reading through, she says this one line. She says, I love the man that you're becoming. We hit 30 years this past summer, and through the generosity of some friends, we found ourselves in Napa Valley. And we're out there enjoying things. And I get an anniversary card from Lynn. And it says, I love the man that you're becoming. And then two weeks ago, on Mandatory Love Day in America, Valentine's Day, I get this card. This is my Valentine's card from Lynn this year. And again, all kind of just, just wonderful things that the card is, is printed on. But then Lynn has a little note in the card, and this phrase pops out, and she says, I love the man that you have become. See, that's when you know you're in a Sunday season. When you've been through Gethsemane, you've been through Calvary, you've been through Saturday, and now she looks at you, and it's almost that 
there's this recognition piece in play. You're, you're something more than I thought. And, I, and the, f the first time I read that at year 25, I thought, well, golly, what does that say about the guy for the pre previous 25 years, you know? <laughs> Loser, you know? But no. what is that for you? I, well, I, honestly, I didn't realize that he was paying attention to the cards I was giving him, that I didn't realize that I had given him the same thing probably for three occasions. <laughs> but not the same card, but kind of the same words. But, you know, um, the longer we're married, honestly, the more and more in love we grow. And, uh, yes, you know, I love the man that I married 30 and a half years ago, but... Um, through our commitment, through the hardships, through all that God has taken us through, um, we are both unrecognizable to some degree. We, God has changed our hearts. He's grown our hearts. And um, we truly feel more in one with each other. Yeah. I was sharing with the men last night at Man Up. Um, in our bedroom, um, on the side of the, the bed that Lynn sleeps on, on the wall is a, is a portrait of her in her wedding dress. And I remember about halfway through the first round with chemo, um, she'd gone through a radical mastectomy and a lot of surgeries, and uh, it was just a hard time, a lot of sickness. And I, I, a lot of those nights, I would just put my hand on her shoulder and stay up all night and pray, Lord, would you please heal my wife? Would you restore the years locusts have eaten. Would would you reconstruct body parts? Would would you bring about a total supernatural healing? God honored that prayer, probably not the way that I wanted Him to, but He He's honored that. And I remember one night praying, and I could look up and see Lynn and all her grandeur and beauty of June of 1981 when we were married. And I could look at her laying beside me in the bed that night, uh, bald and recovering from chemo and surgery with cancer and all that. And there was just this, this, these two lens, and I choose this lens. I'll take, I'll take the older, mature, seasoned woman that she's become. I love the young lens and the woman of my first Sunday. But man, what I have now with this woman of a resurrected Sunday and a season of power, I'll take any day over anybody. <laughs> well, we just wanted to invite you as couples to take a few moments and, and think about where you are as a couple. Uh, what season are you in? Are you at Sunday where it's a season of joy, hope, expectation? Are you at Monday where it's a season of expanding faith and overcoming doubt? Tuesday, a season of great stories, awareness, and, and an insidious plot. Wednesday is maybe there's nothing noteworthy going on. You're just doing life. Thursday is a season of yielded will. Friday, a season of dying to self. Saturday, the in-between season. And Sunday, a season of resurrection and power. You know, we, Chip and I, um, looked at this for our, ourselves, our, us as a couple, and and we feel strongly that we are uh, on, at the second Sunday, um, just where we are. We've grown more and more one as a couple. Uh, there's definitely, you know, resurrection power going on in our lives. But look at yourselves individually as well. 
Um, you might find your spouse on Monday. Is that where you said you yeah, are? I'm working on Monday right now. And I'm usually somewhere between Thursday and Friday, I think. <laughs> but um, but uh, anyway, just an opportunity to kind of look at the seasons and think where you are. And, and most of all, we just want to encourage you to keep going. Yeah. You know, if you find yourselves in one of those uh, seasons where um, definitely in isolation uh, with one another, um, get some folks involved with you. And yeah. Hey, um, the night that Lynn was diagnosed with that breast cancer, we got home uh, from all the, the tests and all that. And I remember sitting down in the bedroom and I was ready to cave in. Uh, I'd, I'd had some friends that lost their wives to the same type of cancer, and I was going to the dark side on this thing and thinking, whoa, I'm about to lose, about to lose my baby. And Lynn comes in, and we, we just pray. And after prayer, she said that up there, she said, you know what, we're not going to fear. We're not going to doubt. We're not going to cave in here. We're being led into this. And that's the thing about whatever season God may have you in as a couple or as an individual. Jesus leads us into those seasons, and that changed everything when you realize this is the invitation to abide in these circumstances and to love in these circumstances. So wherever you are this morning, you're being led there. This stuff is not just happening to you. You're being led into it. And as we close, let's go back to that John 17 prayer, and if you're here with your spouse this morning, I'd invite you to take his or her hand. And if you don't happen to have your spouse here, or if you happen to be single, you can put your name in these blanks. But let's close in prayer. You pray this prayer. And if you're with your spouse, you just lean over and say, I pray also for Keith and Donna. And put your name in the context. God will bring it all about. He's faithful. He's good. And his desire is that we be one.